Most of the trainings start with the salesperson sitting in front of the customer, but never how to get there. And to me, that's a waste of time because a good salesperson just has to be able to think on their feet. You can't overcome or anticipate every obstacle. So I don't even teach the selling part. The prospecting part is the key. Hello there and welcome back to the My Future Business Show. I hope you're doing really well. It's great to have you here. In fact, if this is your first time joining us on the My Future Business Show, welcome. I know that you're in for a treat. And for anybody else who's been supporting the show for any length of time, thank you very much for your support. It's making all the difference for me knowing that the show is making a difference for you. Now, on today's show, I have the pleasure of welcoming author and sales innovator, Mr. Mike LaRusso. Welcome to the show. Oh, great to be here, Rick. Absolutely wonderful to have you here. Now, you and I are going to be talking about your book, The Sales Professional Survival Guide, The Blueprint for Tactical Prospecting. And we're also going to take a deep dive into the art of tactical prospecting and break it down and the alliance of prospecting process um, and the importance of analytics in blowing up common prospecting myths. But before we do any of that, it is customary for us to spend a few moments, uh, Mike, on you. Where, you li- where do you live? Where are you calling in from today? Um, I'm in Atlanta, Georgia. In Beautiful. The US. Has that uh, been home home forever? About 20 years. I'm originally a New York boy in the New York market. Uh, Grew up in New York and uh, New Jersey. So I got my selling legs in Manhattan. I was a bicycle messenger there when I was 16. Uh, Delivered uh, publishing materials, editing, and then eventually uh, doing sales in that territory. So what was the the, uh, motivation for moving, Mike? Snow. Snow. I <laughs> uh, didn't like it. <laughs> yeah, toward the, about the last four years I was up there, we were in the, the mountains of New Jersey and we got clobbered with snow for like four years. Yeah, wow. And, and we said, let's uh, let's just make a change. And we heard about this place. It's a little town. It's about 25 miles south of Hartsfield Airport. It's called um, Peachtree City. Peach. And it was all designed similar to Hilton Head, if you're familiar with that. Mm-hmm. There's uh, 10,000 golf carts in the city. <laughs> So there's 80, 80 plus miles of golf cart path. You can take it anywhere in the city. And yes. uh, it's funny, if you go by one of the high schools, uh, they all take golf carts to school and it looks like gigantic dealerships. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Absolutely love it. Now, I know yeah. you have a, a love of boating. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, um, started to get into it about five years ago once I realized I, I had the courage to actually drive a boat. And then it just... <laughs> I was going to say took to it like a fish to water, but uh, a little too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Now, but, I, I wonder, yeah. can I ask you, what type of boat do you drive? Do you like yeah, it? it's a Bennington. It's a QX25. So uh, beautiful. I call it the f- floating man cave. <laughs> it's got all the bells and whistles. It's, it's about 32 feet long and it's stereo and a little bar. And uh, it's still got a tremendous amount of power to pull the kids on the tubes and uh, there's a place where everyone goes. Uh, I'm in, like I said, I'm in Georgia. Yep. It's about two hours from here in Alabama. It's called Lake Martin. Yeah. And that's kind of like the Lake Tahoe of the South. It's a beautiful lake. And everyone goes down there. A lot of the college football coaches own, uh, you know, multi-million dollar homes, things like that. There's nothing, you, just... there's nothing you can replace than memories, is there? I mean, I remember growing up, we have a River Murray uh, where we're located. We used to have a Mio Spider 350 Chevy um, a mm-hmm. speedboat and we used to go wakeboarding and those memories are some of the best memories that I have. How important are creating memories for you? Let me tell you, they end quickly because the minute we come back at the end of the summer, we're counting the days to, yes, to go back uh, again in the spring. And you know what's nice about it? I have four kids. Everyone 
looks forward to it. So it's not as if you're dragging one who doesn't want to go. So yeah. we have got a jet ski too. We're really into water sports down there. Mm -hmm. Love it. Absolutely love it. You know, there's, there's, can I ask you, I don't know if you've got like mouths to a river or, in, or an inlet or anything like that, but I've, I've seen recently a lot of videos about this one particular inlet where all these super craft go in multi-million dollar craft battle to get their way into this inlet. Do you have anything like that nearby? uh not that i'm aware of yeah no, i can just i can just imagine you know i'm a bit of a bit of a calm water guy you know there's there's ocean craft that have uh locations like that yeah and you know you have the um uh, it's it's called uh there was a book called going south inside and it's within the the east coast you can actually take waterways from florida all the way up to new york and never touch the ocean yeah, wow, that's wonderful. Well, there you go. I've learned something today. <laughs> beyond <laughs> beyond the boating, what are your favorite movies? And do you enjoy music? What's your thing? You just named the two key things. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a movie guy. I don't want to say buff because you may, you know, you may test me, but uh, no. I'm a big movie person. <laughs> and it's very funny because uh, I have a tendency to link a scene from any movie to what's going on in real life. And I drive my kids crazy with that because they'll say something and then you know the beauty of youtube i can just look up any scene because i know it it's right at the tip of my tongue and i shoot it over to them <laughs> I said, you see, we went through that and that just actually happened the other day it wasn't movies but a friend of mine in new york uh i haven't spoken to her in a year and she said what was that scene from monty python where they uh he wanted to go for a uh, uh he was paying for a complaint and they gave him instead an argument the <laughs> knights of nick yeah so <laughs> And it's so funny, while walking to my table in Starbucks, I just click, click, click and sent it to her. And she's like, it's amazing. I knew you would know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We're going to call you the metaphor, man, because obviously we're going to be talking a little bit about, I guess, the uh, the importance of storytelling later on in your line of uh, work, your profession. Now, what's the one thing about pets that you can remember when you were growing up? Did, were you exposed to pets? Pets? Yes. Yeah. Um, always had a dog. Uh, typically a German shepherd. Beautiful. Um, and, you know, the, the, beside, uh, you didn't get enough. It, they're loving to have around, but taking care of them. So, <laughs> uh, you know, the thing you worry, especially now, the kids, you know, they cry for them. And then the minute you get them, you're the one walking them. So that, that's the main memory. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, you know, when we look back on, uh, you know, what our kids are going through, I wonder if you can, I guess, share with us a childhood memory of your own that's fond to you. <laughs> in relation to pets or just in no general? just you in general when you were growing okay, up in what's, general, what's one let's thing? put it this way uh my parents were both uh from the bronx in new york right. and all the relatives were from that same area and even though i grew i moved to new jersey when i was about nine but you still had that new york flavor yeah and the biggest thing i remember which and it's a big difference from uh the kids today uh is in New York, in the New York market, you're very cultural as a kid. And it yeah. could be because you grow up around Broadway, you see plays, you television. And the kids today have no reference to any of that. And, uh, you know, I'll bring up uh, the Marx Brothers, for instance, or, you know, all the things you grew up with, and yep. they've never heard of them, <laughs> which is kind of scary. And, you know, if they do something like see a black and white movie, they, they think something's wrong with the television. <laughs> 
don't they just? <laughs> it was funny because I actually prefer some of the, uh, you know, f- uh, funny comedic, uh, you know, silent movies that were back in the day. Sure. To me, I tried to, remember. yeah, I tried to show them Charlie Chaplin once. Charlie Chaplin. And they thought the sound was was off. You know, Three Stooges, all that sort of oh, the stuff. Three st- <laughs> <laughs> now you get it you're going i actually watched that the other day while i was just surfing channel surfing it's like no, oh, i, I haven't been that in a while i'm with you i'm with you so tell us i know that you're a busy individual what's a daily uh day look like for you what's your routine are you an early riser do you what do you do yeah you know it's funny because uh i i i use the term personal growth but it used to be called just working hard <laughs> and I'm always doing different projects and yeah. I'm always involved in them. And some of them are complimentary, some aren't. So if I don't do five different things a day, I feel like I'm slacking. And uh, so a typical day is I'll wake up, uh, you know, I'll start doing work around seven and I'll get into my finances, some investment type thing. I take my youngest to school and I come back and I do my sales job. After the sales job, I'm doing some form of writing whether it's finishing the book or something new. After that, I'm very big into exercise and working out. I was going to ask you and, that. And then when I come home after that, I start dinner, which is good because my wife freezes chicken. She yep. doesn't keep it in the fridge. It's frozen, Got which it. is nice because it gives it like an hour of cooking time and I play guitar and oh. I work on my songwriting and guitar playing. And I try and do all those things every day, which yeah. is, you know, and, 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 you know, there doesn't seem to be enough hours in the day, really, does there? Right. Oh, absolutely. You know, you get a little frustrated. It's like, oh, if I could just spend all day on this one thing, you know, and focus. Yeah. But I'd probably, I'd probably pick up something else anyway. I'm always doing doing something. It's funny. Um, as time goes by, Mike, I find that the days seem to just fly by. Are you noticing that? Yes. Uh, <laughs> slow yes, down. <laughs> just slow down. You don't even know. I know it used to be, you know, I hear people counting the days and, you know, when people say, what are you going to do when you retire? I said, are you kidding? What's that? <laughs> yeah. I wish I had 24 straight hours. I didn't have to do anything but the things I love. You know? yeah. Well, you as, a, as an artist, what sort of music do you like creating? Uh, well, I'm, I'm big into, um, I play the guitar, like yes. I said, uh, and, you know, it's, I'd say I'm intermediate, so you have to write according to your level. Yep. And uh, so I, right now I'm really into Neil Young, but a lot of, you know, basic rock. And, you know, if I'm going to pick up the electric guitar, then I'll go Leonard Skinner, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. But the whole idea is with the writing, it's, okay, what can what chord changes can I actually do to write the song? And, uh, <laughs> you know, it plays into It's a very interesting story. I um, uh, My daughter just got married back in August. And, uh, you know, they announce if, at, the, um, at the reception, they, they announce people coming out. And the parents always have to do something crazy, of course, right? And I didn't <laughs> want to do the kind of nonsense things where you do a dumb dance, that type of thing. <laughs> so I said to my daughter, how about if I, I come out and I play the opening riff to uh, Highway to Hell from ACDC uh-huh. <laughs> with the electric guitar? And we had a, it took like a couple of months to plan it out with the DJ and everything. And it, it just blew away. It was yeah, it, it, it went well. Oh, it was fantastic. You know, fantastic. well, you know, it was a three-day thing. You're getting everything ready. So I don't think I was sober. for. <laughs> by the time I came through the doors, I was ready to slide on my knees and shred. And... <laughs> oh, that's a wonderful moment in time. Thank you very oh, much yeah. for, for yeah. sharing yeah. it with us. I really do appreciate it. Now, I know um, that, you know, when I was young, I had my first experience, my entrepreneurial experience was washing cars. Can you recall yours? And, oh, sure. I... um. I actually talk about this in interviews. Uh, I was a really 
small guy. I still yeah. am, but I was really tiny. So I looked probably half my age. You know, if I was 12, I looked like six or seven years old. But I was able to negotiate and cut deals. And it used to throw adults off because they didn't expect me to, you know, to talk that way. Yes. <laughs> and I used to do a lot of, uh, you know, we go around getting landscaping jobs. And uh, there was a factory right across the street from where I lived. And we went in there and we were, I remember just trying to cut a deal with the guy. And I was half the size of everyone who did it with me. <laughs> and everyone started gathering around because they couldn't believe you know, this guy was negotiating. <laughs> I think I was nine or 10. And I really, I looked like I was five years old. And, uh, you know, the guy was trying to stiff us. And so I said, listen, we'll put the weeds back. I don't know how we were going to do that. <laughs> It's really funny. It's really funny, you know, because I too am not uh, big in stature. I'm not that tall. I'm, I'm okay. I'm happy with what I am. But I have, I often say to my friends, I, I live in the land of giants. They're all seemingly beyond six foot. Do you find that? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, I even bring it up as a negative and, you know, jokingly. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, it doesn't bother me in the least. But, uh, you know, I, a friend of mine was uh, going for a position, getting interviewed, and he was at the last leg and this really tough a boss called me up as a reference and uh, I was giving him a glowing recommendation. And then it came to the end where she said, well, you say all positive things about him. What, what would you say is a negative? I said, he's too tall. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. she, she said, nobody makes this woman laugh. And she cracked up. And <laughs> That's brilliant. Now tell me, um, I'd love to know, I guess, um, your, a bit of your professional background, how it was that you became involved in this uh, amazing industry that you're in today? Well, uh, I was always in sales at some level, even when I didn't want to be. I actually have a degree in psychology from college. Right. And uh, when I graduated, I went back into sales. And I will say this, it's something with me, it's just in your fiber sometimes. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I use the term, which wasn't used back then, business development, which I, I love the term because it really is definitive in what it you're doing. Encapsulates it pretty well, it doesn't it? Encapsulates it. You're starting with nothing and you're developing business, whether it's getting yep. new business, being creative and finding new revenue. So I always had that. And I think I, I lend that part to being a New Yorker at heart. They're always cutting deals, just going down the street, talking. They're always in that mode. Never sleeping. Uh, never, never. And um, so I always had that in the fiber. Like, like I said, when I was nine years old, landscaping, it just, it just came out naturally. And uh, so when I graduated college, I went into a sales job, didn't think I could do it. And uh, it just, like I said, it came naturally and I was hunting in New York and I actually had a very good mentor who was the owner of the company at the time. And he started from nothing and built it up. So we, you know, it didn't teach me a lot. He validated a lot of what I already thought, but the yep. people who were in my life to that point, you know, they didn't know their ass from their elbow, excuse me. And they couldn't validate uh, any of the things I was trying to, to, um, uh, you know, to describe. And yep. he actually, he actually put it down into concrete for me. And then it was just going forward. And I, uh, I had that, I, I actually developed into, I'm going to use the term consultant. Um, I don't like the term because I've been a consultant for 40 years, but mm -hmm. it's not the fancy one. It's <laughs> where they I hire do. you to actually do, do the grunt work as an yep. independent contractor, yep. but they just use the term. But at this organization, I grew with it and grew and I started taking on a lot of side projects, similar to what I do now. Yep. So in addition to doing the sales, they would hit me with something at my desk and say, you know, find out why our advertising isn't working or find out, you know, how we can open up this market. And more and more, I became kind of an internal consultant and doing data analyses and things like that. And I grew into that uh, when I left that company. And um, 
as it relates to the book, I took 40 years of quote unquote consulting and, um, and some of the methodologies that I use just intuitively, probably, like I say, because where I came from. Yep. Um, and then I got to the point after doing this for many years, I wanted to formalize the process that it was just in my head and put it down. And as a step-by-step -step guide, because it just doesn't exist. There is no, in my opinion, anyway, unless there's something out there that I haven't seen mm. in terms of the trainings in terms of the literature, there's nothing, nothing that shows a sales professional how to hunt for new business. And it's all kind of pie in the sky superficialities. So I decided to, you know, write mine down and it's almost like building an engine, mm -hmm. you know, real step-by-step -step guide. And, uh, I'm sorry, I'm going off into the book. No, 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 it's great. So uh, what had happened is I was writing it down and it took me many years longer than I thought it would. <laughs> I had an engineer friend who said, look, if you were trying to explain to somebody how to change a light bulb, you think it's like nothing, you can do it in seconds. Yep. But if you had to write down the steps, you realize that there's a lot more things involved that you never thought of. And he said, I couldn't imagine writing down the steps to finding a new customer. <laughs> but uh, so I did that. And as, as I was uh, putting down the... Um, just like in a tutorial form, it became a cathartic exercise. And I was realizing that all of these companies that I work for, um, you know, going back in my memory, they're gone. 95% of them don't exist anymore. And I realized like that one uh, either got gobbled up or that one went out of business or that one just couldn't move forward and close their US operations. And the key thing was none of it was because of a lack of sales. They all yeah. had plenty of sales or plenty of potential sales. As I put in the book, they were just decisioned into the grave. So I kind of got a little angry and frustrated. So I, I turned it into a methodology and a commentary on, uh, on the sales profession and the modern sales environment. So I said, here's the problems with sales. Here are my solutions. I used the methodology to, to reinforce the solutions. And I said, you know what? They may not believe it on its face, you know, step one, step two, that it actually works. So I, I have a very good background in analytics and I created my own sales metrics equations to use as product, uh, production gauges for yep. the me methods that I had been uh, teaching in there. So I said, here's the methods to fix things. Here are the numbers, the analytics that you can use to back it up. And I said, you know what? There's still something missing. missing. So uh, I went in my my brain and my memory. And after 40 years, I put down the, I have hundreds of sales happenings I've been involved in. Mm. I use the actual anecdotes that reinforce the problem and the solution that I've encountered myself in my career. So everything in the book is not me, um, you know, uh, rewriting what I've read in other sales, man, uh, sales manuals or trainings. It's everything I've done personally. Rubber, rubber meets the road type stuff, isn't it? Absolutely. And, you know, it's funny because if you bring up anything, I don't even need the book. So yep. bring up a concept because I did it. And, uh, you know, it's funny, just to step aside a second, a lot of the books, like I said, or the sales trainings, they, they don't really know sales prospecting. And I'm going to use that term uh, you know, yep. loosely, but it's hunting for new business, which is my specialty. So when they start a training, they kind of skate by that part. You know, and they it's just a tertiary uh, overview of it. And most of the trainings start with the salesperson sitting in front of the customer, mm. but never how to get there, you know. And to me, that's uh, that's, that's a waste crazy. of time because 
uh, a good salesperson just has to be able to think on their feet. You can't overcome or anticipate every obstacle. And uh, so yeah, I don't wow. even teach, I don't even teach uh, the selling part. The prospecting part is the key. Is the key. So it's one step prior to. Yeah, and this is not something we talk about on the My Future Business show that often. So this will be a very unique conversation. Now, uh, would it be fair to say, Mike, that this is a balance between strategies, tactics, and principles? What's inside this book? Print. I don't use strategies. The term. It's tactics mm -hmm. and principles. Absolutely. Right. right. Uh, tactics are, and, and I'll give you. I could. My definition may be off, but yep. from what I've been. It, um, what's been put in front of me in terms of strategy in the past and the organizations I've worked for is gobbledygook. Yeah, It's all yep. superficialities and they <laughs> never work out, but they say, yeah, this is our strategy to do this. Okay, when it fails, what happens? We're the ones who suffer. A tactic is something that I'm going to implement. And I can tell you right now, this is what I'm going to do. And now I can see the results. And that's why I use the term tactic and tactical prospecting is, is the kind of ideology and the tactic. Um, and the principles are the things that you need to as the foundation for implementing my methodology. Yes. Wow. There's going to be a lot of people on this call, you know, startup entrepreneurs, those who are looking for, you know, the ingredients to have a successful business of their own. So if you're listening, this is prior to the sales process. So really for you, Mike, a conversion would be when a prospect's in front of you rather than the sale. Is that fair? Well, let me, uh, it's very simple how I, explain it here 90 percent of the sale is made during the prospecting process ah. not when you're sitting in front of the customer and the reason for that is with with the alliance process you're already you've overcome all the typical prospecting obstacles you've bypassed all of them so there's no gatekeeper to get by and there's no vetting process and the customer already is interested in the product you don't have to make them interested so all that's left is you have a, a, a customer that wants the product, wants to see you and wants the demonstration. All that's left is negotiating on the number, on the price. Yeah. I, I keep thinking to myself in backward steps here, I'm thinking, well, what happens prior to that? How do you, uh, I guess, garner interest and build a, a level of trust and anticipation for the next step in the eyes of the prospect? Well. I'll step back again and just to give you the overview, it will lead into it. Tactical prospecting is both, like you say, it's a principle, I call it a philosophy, and a tactic. And that's the foundation for the alliance process. So tactical prospecting, the three principles are you're trying to produce, when I say produce, like in, in terms of finding leads, yep, okay, yep. we'll just use that generically, uh, you're, tr you're in the shortest amount of time, you're, you're measuring Hold on a second, please. That's all right. Something came in here. Yeah, I lost you there. Hold on. There we go. I'm, I'm sorry. St I'm still here. Okay, call came through. <laughs> <laughs> now you're all I'm good to go. Away. So uh, you're you're trying to produce, and I use the, the metric of one hour. Okay, yep. that's what, how much you can produce in an hour. Uh, your measurement, which is key, which isn't done, you know, they they have superficial measurements that have no basis in reality. You've heard the thing, knock on a hundred doors a day, that type of thing. It's all, it's yes. all just made up. Um, and uh, the last thing, and most important, is 
your the key thing to tactical prospecting or my type of prospecting is you're identifying people, not businesses. So you're looking for people that have a business development mindset. And a business development mindset, just to be generic about it, is, and you've run into this, some people really know how to do deals or see opportunities, and some people don't. Yep. And I have it broken down a lot more in detail in the book, but it's basically that. I call them people who, and it could be your landscaper, it could be, you know, your, your, your uh, garbage man or your salesperson colleague. And I'll tell you, honestly, it's equal. <laughs> Because <laughs> I've, I've worked with sales professionals who have no business development mindset whatsoever. And I've worked with, I've run into people like landscapers or like I said, a lot of IT consultants, that type of thing, who know how to do sales a hundred times better than a sales professional. So if you're, you're looking for people and what the alliance process is, is once you've identified people with a business development mindset, that process is engaging them to form an ongoing relationship, a business development relationship. Now, that's the one, two, three of it. What that actually means is instead of hunting for businesses and it becomes a very cold calling randomization process, you're looking for people to get access to contacts they already have um, a connection to. Ah. So, uh, you know, there's no, I put it in there, there's no better database in the world than a human's brain. And I could sit in front of a certain type of alliance partner, I call them allies, and yep. I can say, look, I'm selling this type of product now. What do you think? And a, a certain type of channel part, I'm sorry, an alliance partner can give me six, seven, ten actual leads of people he knows that could use the product. But I can give you a more basic example. If I'm a salesperson, I'm starting, I have a new product and I, my first day I have to sell it. I'll go and I'll line up a hundred businesses to contact and I'll try every which way to get into them. I'll call them, I'll email them, I'll knock on their door, but it's all cold. You don't know if they need the product. They don't know you, you don't own them. So you've got all those obstacles in the way. The gatekeeper, the you know, vetting, who are you? Do they even need the product? But let's say I go to a person who has a complimentary type of product or Basically, they're calling on the same type of decision maker for whatever they do in business. Perfect yeah. example is if I'm selling phone systems and they're selling computers, they both call on an IT professional within the same organization. Mm -hmm. Now, I could call on an IT. I can make a connection with an IT consultant and say, look, I have contacts that I know and you have contacts that you know. Let's get together and see if we can help each other out. And I'll say, here's my product that does A, B and C. That person will think and say, you know, of my 300 customers, I know about five or six that would match what you need. Now, if you go back to the salesperson, if I go on 100 calls, I may get five appointments out of it. I'll hit 100 calls. I'll get five appointments. Maybe I'll get one sale. And that's, yeah. a, that's a high number. It won't mm -hmm. even be that. Okay. But if I meet a person who has already connections to the type of customer, they bring me the five. And I reduce my prospecting by 95% because I don't have to waste my time in 95 cold calls. Now, those five are already vetted because they're vouched for by my uh, ally. So it's it knocks the, out all that prospecting. It's the ultimate in leverage, isn't it? Yes, 100%. And, you know, it, it comes back to a basic, uh, a basic concept that familiarity breeds comfort. Of course. And that's what this is based on. Now, if you need people with a business development mindset to create as an ally, otherwise they won't grasp what you're doing. But I have methodologies and actual 
uh, equations in there to determine the strength of their business development mindset, in which case you would be categorizing them and that's how you deal with them and what to expect out of them. There seems to me that to be a little bit of a learning curve when we start talking about data and data analytics as, as somebody who works in quality management for many years, statistical process control was a big part of my game. So mm -hmm. when you start talking about analytics, does somebody need to be at least an intermediate uh, learner or can they? Who no, is this basic for? math, but basic even beyond math. that, you could yeah. be horrible at math and my equations are, uh, you know, I've transformed them into an Excel spreadsheet. The equation. Oh, beautiful. So then it's just cutting in the factors. I, I created one, which I actually, when I was writing the book, I hired a couple of uh, math tutors to, to check my math. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And it blew them away too. Oh, that's uh, good news. Oh, I, but, I wonder, it, it seems to me that initially it might be a, uh, a cover to cover read, but is it a resource that you can go back and just pick from when you need to? Is that how 100%, it works? 100%, yes. Right. Yeah. You know, it's actually funny because I know people who they bought it and they just, they were looking up all the anecdotes because <laughs> they were so entertaining. But I have a whole section on just, uh, it's called Alliance Analytics. Yes. And that would be, uh, that could be a book in itself, which I may do eventually. And I'll give you an example. Um, I've, uh, I can go to an organization, not know anything about the product or the industry. And I can ask management when I'm sitting in front of them, 12 questions. And it could be, what's the sales cycle? What's your average sale? How do you expect me to prospect and what's the success rate of that prospecting method? So I come up with 10 parameters. I punch it into one of my equations. It can tell me exactly how much I'm going to make in commission if all of those are accurate. And I don't have to know a thing about the industry. So tell me a little bit about um, your experience in terms of uh, looking at this from a project management perspective. Is, is, would that be a fair sort of approach? Uh, I, I like to call it, if, if this is where you're going with this, is more of a sales um, uh, sales operations. Right. Yeah. Okay, so, so and I can see that this book would be uh, really useful inside existing businesses as a training tool. Is that something that it could be applied for? Yes, absolutely. Well, you know, it's funny the, the two the two target markets for this book, and one of the one of them is one of the reasons I really went over the top and wrote it is uh, there are now uh, colleges offered degrees in sales. Plus, yeah. they have them as, you know, just basic courses in business. So the sales student is a perfect target. Also, the uh, corporate executive, and I'm talking high level EVP and up, because both of them, for different reasons, have no idea what's going on in their sales world. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason I say that is if I and I've done this when I've done my consulting, I usually meet with a CEO EVP and they'll say, Mike, we've got this problem in sales and we're not quite sure the cause of it. And, you know, after a day, sometimes I've done it within the meeting, I've described, you know, if they tell me the problem, I'll describe what I think, you know, the, the issue is without actually, uh, you know, going hands on. Yep. Right. Um, and it turns out to be, and it's funny of all the times I, I run into this, I, I easily nine out of 10 times, whatever they thought the problem was, wasn't even close to the real problem. Mm -hmm. And it was usually a pretty simple solution. Which I guess is probably the you know if you know what the problem is, it's easy to solve. It's all so, it's easy to see, right? And at the sea level, they're just not getting accurate information from the people below them, and yeah. that that lends into all the rest of the superficiality aspects of, uh, you know, of of the data metrics. You know, sales metrics are are more used as a punishment tool than as to change the methodology. 
you know, and they'll say, okay, you haven't been hitting your quota. So I need you to do this and this and this and this. Yep. And it's impossible to do it because it's not realistic, whatever it is. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, there's another, there's another bow um, to be, you know, added here um, to the quiver, as they say, because, you know, it's so often we do talk about the actual sales and, but we've, miss this critical step of prospecting now for anybody who's inexperienced with this phase mm -hmm. uh, mike can you share with us what are some of the do's and do's uh, do's and don'ts for beginners um of prospecting just so what i have in the book is and it's hard for a beginner but let's assume you can determine with the measurement the success rate of different prospecting methods let me yep. step back a second and Thank i you. put this in the book every prospecting method that you ever heard of they all work Okay, yep. That's not the problem. And this is what I try and convey to management. The problem is how often they work, the ratio, because I'm limited in my time. I'm on a monthly quota or a quarterly quota. So if I'm doing a prospecting method that only produces X amount of appointments within the 30 day period, I'm not mm -hmm. going to hit my number. So I have to do something that's going to produce faster. And that was the, um, it, when I started, decided to write the book. Um, when I did my consulting jobs, I was usually in a six month contract, three to six months. So I would go into an organization. I'd have to learn the product, learn the customer, find out who the customer is, go out and, uh, you know, prospect them and then sell them. Okay. So I had to do it fast. And if I'm dealing with a, you know, a product that has a six month sales cycle, I'm doomed unless I yep. do something that I can prospect <laughs> faster. Yeah. So I had to figure out a way, which is what I did to find the the customers faster whether it's through a channel partner an intermediary allies which i didn't call them at the time allies they were just you know at the time they used the term networking which i can't use anymore because it's been hijacked and diluted into just fancy cold calling <laughs> so, <laughs> so i had to uh, come up with something that produced fast and that's why you know, if you talk to a typical management, sales management, they'll talk about, okay, you have 30 days or you have 90 days, depending on the quota. I don't yeah. look at it that way. What can I produce in an hour? Because I can determine in the first hour, am I moving in the right direction with my productivity or not? And, you know, if I'm not, then I have to trash that and move on to something that does produce more. So as it relates to the newbie, like you mentioned, if you're using different prospecting methods, which you should try them all, you never know. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. only, um, a lot, the amount of time to that method in terms of its success ratio. Ah, there you go. There's some key insights here. I, I just, I wonder, um, with all of this, um, being the case and somebody's reading this book, um, you know, it's amazing how time flies when we're talking about a topic that I'm so super interested in, because it's not a topic that we've covered very much at all. As, again, mm -hmm. as I mentioned earlier, but tell us a little bit about, I guess, the structure of the book and the sections that people will find. Okay. I have, um, the first is explaining, like I said, you need a foundation for the Alliance process. So yep. I explain the basics of tactical prospecting. Okay. And yep. what the, the principles are. And to, there's something in here called tactical mentality, which is, it's just amazingly powerful if companies would implement it. And what that really is, is it's funny. I, if you ask any, I'm going to be, I'm going to embellish here. If you ask employees within an organization, what's the most important thing for your business in terms of growth and sustainability and how everyone profits, they'll all say sales. That's the most important thing in a business, right? Sales, doing sales. But if you ask the same people, who are the most important employees? None of them will say the sales employees. <laughs> yes. 
So, you know, and you, and you know, all the little side comments and, you know, uh, plenty of them. referred to, but the <laughs> tactical mentality is if organization at every level, whether you're in inventory, IT, contract analysis, every department puts their function and process with sales being the most important thing. So it's anything that helps promote doing sales as opposed to an obstacle to sales, which is, you know, more often the case. Yeah. And I put in there that if you took every employee and every department and you made sales the number one thing that they think about and care about motivation, how much more business could be could be gotten, you know, in revenue? It could be 10 percent, 20, 30. Imagine 30 percent more revenue of a hundred million dollar company and it didn't cost you one penny. You didn't build a new warehouse. You didn't open a new market, new marketing campaign just by changing everyone's attitude and the structure. Yes. It's an amazing shift. It's transformational, isn't it? Yes, 100%. And, you know, I've seen both ends. It's funny. I was, uh, when I do sales consulting, sometimes I work, I don't go into the office. I don't work corporate. And then I'll get a job that's more corporate going in. And uh, I was, um, I was at an organization and I said, uh, what is the so-and-so department like? And they said, it's sad, S-A-D. And I, I thought like forlorn, sad. what do you mean sad? And they, I go, why, they're not unhappy? I said, no, no, sad. It's the sales avoidance department. <laughs> <laughs> and terms like that popped up and it's like, you can't go there. They're just gonna you know, make it difficult for you to do a, do a deal. It seems to me that this book would be almost a culture builder, a positive culture builder, given what you've just said. So uh, I'm wondering um, if, if somebody wanted to work with you directly, is that something they can still do as a result 100%. of reading this book? Yes. And, you know, I, I almost encourage because I love getting it out there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, that buy the book, read the book, you read sections and then contact me. Just reach out. Once I explain it to them, then they get more and more into, oh, I want to see the next session and the next. And um, because it's, you know, I, I hate the term revolutionary, except it sounds good for me. But <laughs> <laughs> it's revolutionary in two ways that it's never been done where you've put a step by step process down on how to prospect for business. Like I said, it's like teaching someone how to build an engine. Now, there may be a little niche. You know, if I showed somebody how to build an engine, everyone's not going to be interested in it. But that part is revolutionary. And the fact that all of this stuff, the commentary, the principles we discussed, is yep. I'm making it aware. I'm getting it out there because yeah. you know, everyone's afraid to talk about it. Well, I tell you what, um, the My Future Business audience have their ears open and they love this sort of conversation. I'm pretty sure, Mike, that they will be interested in getting their hands on your book. But where do they go to get it? Where do they go to connect with you? And how do they find more, more information? Sure. It's on Amazon uh, mm -hmm. uh, under the title Sales Professional Survival Guide. My name, Mike LaRusso, the author. Also on my website, uh, www.mikelarusso.com. Fantastic. You can also well, find me on LinkedIn and on Instagram. I'll be making sure that anybody who's uh, listening to the call today, Mike, has access to the links back to your website and in turn, Amazon. And uh, if you're interested in learning about tactical prospecting and getting your hands uh, on a copy of the Sales Professional Survival Guide, make sure to visit the My Future Business website. Click through to uh, michaelarusso.com and you will find Mike and his wonderful book. And with all that being said, Mike, great call. Thank you so very much for joining me on the show today. Thank you. I had a great time.